The following podcast is a W2M Network partnership production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. You are now listening to The Football Five, only on the W2M Network. Welcome to The Football Five, alongside Eric Watkins, Dylan Goldman, and Sean Garmer. I'm Stephen Err. So, as we do every week, we're going to go over the final scores from Week 10. Thursday night, the Ravens beat the Browns 28-7. On Sunday, the Chiefs came back to beat the Panthers 20-17. The Texans beat the Jaguars 24-21. Broncos hold up the Saints 25-23. The Rams beat the Jets in the game of the week, 9-6. The Eagles beat the Falcons 24-15. The Bucks run over the Bears, 36-10. Titans beat the Packers, 47-25. Redskins hold up the Vikings, 26-20. The Dolphins beat the Chargers, 31-24. Cardinals hold up the Niners, 23-20. How about the Cowboys? Beat the Stellars, 35-30. Seahawks knock off the Patriots 31-24 Sunday night. And the Giants beat the Bengals 21-20 on Monday night. All right, guys. Takeaways from Week 10. Blair Walsh. Now, supposedly, the Vikings last week worked out six different kickers. They decided to keep them. Look what happens. They finally wised up and released them. I thought the league was crazy by making the extra point 33 yards, but between the Steelers now going for two in the first quarter, all the crazy misses and other strange events, I can honestly say they knew what they were doing. Yeah, for me, I have two main things to take away from this week, and one is starts with the Tennessee Titans. We all knew coming into the season, and I believe a couple of us said on our season preview show that they were going to be sleepers. Well, they've held true to that statement so far because they currently are one and a half games behind Houston for the lead in AFC South. They're 5-5, five and five, and they're coming off a big win against Green Bay. And I know Green Bay hasn't been all that impressive, but this is still a Packers team that has been the best in the NFL for, the, for a long time. And this is a Titans team that has not been at the top for most of, it, of the existence of their franchise, at least in the past couple of years. So this was a very important win for them. Marcus Mariota, 19-26, 295 yards, four touchdowns, almost a perfect game, especially when you compare it to his counterpart, Aaron Rodgers, who is still talent-wise one of the best in the league, but he threw 51 passes, completing only 31 of them for 371 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. So especially in a weak division, Tennessee has a chance to make some noise, and if that isn't the case, then they can definitely – get through to the wild card. So watch out for this Titans team as we get closer to the home stretch of the season. And I also wanted to mention that Broncos-Saints game, it came down to the wire. New Orleans could have taken the lead on an extra point. It was blocked and taken back for two points. Now there's a lot of controversy about whether or not he stepped out of bounds. And if you're wearing white cleats and you do not, for a white sideline and you do not have the camera angles or a camera on the sideline, then you're likely going to get the touchdown call even if it looks like you stepped out of bounds. And personally, with that call, I thought, well, it looked like when they zoomed in, he could have stepped out of bounds. But personally, as heartbreaking as it was since I was going for the Saints, The refs really did the right thing. White uniforms, white cleats, white sidelines. Yes, there was one of those quirky combinations to wear right place, right time for benefit. But either way, who is to say what really would have happened had that game gone to overtime? I think you created the better finish just ending it with that right there. I didn't watch the Saints game because it wasn't on my TV, but wow. From what I'm hearing, 
wow. Camera angles need to get better. They're doing a better job there. Catching these things. Uh, yes, the Tennessee Titans, they beat the Packers. They are 5-4, and four, right behind Houston in the AFC South. It's, it's, every, nobody's watching this team, and yet they're winning. It's amazing. They sh- they could it should be six and three, but the Chargers they committed some turnovers in the fourth quarter of their game against the Chargers, and uh, that could that get that give them away a win. My takeaway from Week Ten is Carolina. Now we said when they lost to the Saints the first time, they'll play the Saints again on Thursday. That they're done. But but God, the the, the Panthers are the Browns right now. They have reached a new low. They gave up a 17-0 lead. Now, mind you, it's the Chiefs. Chiefs are pretty good. But mind you, they gave up a 17-0 lead and lost. I don't think you get any lower than that. No. I mean, look, we've talked about them starting off 1-5 Super Bowl appearance last year, and all of a sudden they're last in the division and one of the worst in the league. They got They got a two-game winning streak, and we started to think, we weren't starting to think that they were going to get back to their normal levels, but we were starting to think that maybe they were improving and they had a chance, maybe a slim one, but a chance to make a late-season push. Now, they looked even more impressive. They were holding a 17-point lead over the Kansas City Chiefs, who are one of the top teams in the AFC. But, mind you, you come back and you light up 20 unanswered points at home and you end up losing by three points. You're right. This is a pretty big low for this Carolina team, especially if you're wanting to dig yourself out of a pretty big hole and you needed to win this game. It was a home game. You had a 17-point lead. And Kansas City did come back from a pretty big deficit earlier in the season. That was week one. But this is not exactly a team equipped to come back from that big of a deficit. And Carolina committed some turnovers. That definitely didn't help. And... They're three and six, and I you have to be ten and six usually to be in decent playoff position. I don't see them rattling off seven straight wins. So pretty much this loss, in a way, either pretty much put their chances of either a de- a little bit less than a decent chance to a slim chance, basically to only a slim chance. And now they're gonna go on. Go, they're going to have to go on an unprecedented win streak given how they played in order to have a chance to make the playoffs. So this definitely was a very, very big low for them, especially with all the talent they had, the lead they had, and where they were playing at home. And they're going to have to pick up the pieces and try to finish this season out the way that they're supposed to because it's going to turn into a disaster. And at this point, they're just going to want a solid draft pick because if they finish mediocre, then that's not going to help them improve for next year. Well, has is this a new low for Carolina this season? Yes. Is this a new low really in this era, especially with Cam Newton? Yes. But comparing the Panthers to the Browns, it's something completely different. First of all, I've seen a Panthers team with Chris Winkie at quarterback win on opening day and then lose their next 15 games in a row. Not to mention, yes, at 3-6, and six, they are a bit of a long shot. But look at what the Chiefs did last year coming back from 2-5, and five, going to the playoffs. Things like this have happened before. Is it unlikely? Yes, it pretty much is. But there's been darker times in this franchise. As far as the Browns, this is nothing darker. You're 0-10 for the first time ever. Could they go 0-16? I honestly believe so. I'm a Browns fan. I say get used to it for at least a couple more years because with the way that that organization is at the top, it's not getting too much better. Yeah, that's what I meant by uh, Panthers are the Browns. They've reached a new low. The Panthers being, they were 3-5, and five, gave a 17-point lead. The Browns mean God. We didn't think they could get any lower than they are. They have, and they did. They're 0-10 after a 28-7 loss to Baltimore. Now, you know, it's very sad that Baltimore is 0-10. Not Baltimore, Cleveland is 0-10 because they have such great talent. And I said this, I believe, in the 
pregame, sh- the preview show, or one one of these shows before. Cody Kessler, I like him. Corey Coleman definitely has talent. Duke Johnson, you guys know him from Miami. He has talent. It's just, oh god, watching the Browns team is just so sad, so sad. Well, it definitely is sad considering the years upon years in the last decade or so, even longer, especially with the franchise leaving and all the previous instances of when they were very, very good in position to make a Super Bowl. And we've heard about the drive and so on and so forth. Now we're just hitting an all-time low with this team. They're 0-10. They're on track to be uh, that winless team, something that we don't see too often. They do have talent. They have Jamie Collins. They have Corey Coleman. Cody Kessler has been pretty impressive. He hasn't been one of the best, but considering where he was in the draft and where he was in the depth chart to start the season, he has been impressive. And they have talent, but they're not putting it to good use. Now, do they have the? Do they have great talent? I don't know, but they have some quality pieces to build around, and they're not exactly using that well. And I think it starts with the organization. They got to realize who they are. They got to make the right moves, whether it's with the roster, with the coaching staff, or in the front office. They just need to pretty much they need to restart, pick up the pieces, and realize what they're doing wrong. Because so far they're not showing any signs of progress. In fact, it's just getting worse from here. So something needs to happen. They need to sit down, realize what they're doing, and restart pretty much, whether it's with the front office, with the team, or with the coaching staff, because it is not right right now because 0-10 is never a good period and of course there's going to be times when a franchise is hitting a low but they've been on a low for so long now that there needs to be changes I agree there definitely needs to be changes done and the Cleveland organization and uh, at this point they might as well just clean house like god like, I don't know, I don't remember, Eric, you might remember better than me, what the Lions did after the 08 season, after they finished 0-16, because the, the only thing I can remember is that they got Sam Bradford. So for the Cleveland, there's, looking at the draft right now, it's a little early for that, but looking at the draft, there's two quarterbacks that Cleveland could look at. And Eric, that's Lamar Jackson out of Louisville, that's Deshaun Watson out of um, Clemson. Well, they didn't get Bradford. They went ahead and they got Matt Stafford, which turned out to work well. And honestly, if I'm Cleveland, I would probably lean towards a bit more towards Lamar Jackson. I mean, they play a very similar style, but I think the fact that with Lamar Jackson, the Louisville runs a more spread offense that could hurt him and... You could also get into the Manziel situation where he may need to put on a little bit more weight. So time will tell because there's about three or four names. But yes, if I'm Cleveland, I do try to work to clean house, build towards the future. But I also say, to the Lions' credit, they knew what they were doing in having a team that was capable of building and putting this team in place best thing they did was fire Matt Millen. I still don't know if the way the Cleveland front office is set up that they can at least take advantage and begin building. Who knows? Especially now, you still, now they're saying Robert Griffin III could be coming back before the end of the season. That's a bit of a telling move of itself. Now, in regards to Robert Griffin third move, I know they signed him I know they made him the starter earlier in the season, but I'm starting to think, I don't know if you go back to him because I know it's not like Cody Kessler has had any success in terms of winning games, but at this point, I would try to develop him, but you're probably going to want to target a quarterback in this draft because right now you're looking at Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Kaiser as probably the number one and number two quarterback options, Lamar Jackson as well. So I'm liking... These guys, I think Cleveland can definitely target one of these guys. And after that, the quarterback, the quarterback big board kind of takes a, a dip. So I think it's either those guys or they ride it out and try to go 
for the next draft class, but I think they want to kind of start improving now because a lot of it starts with the quarterback position and then you build around it. So if they want to ride it out with Cody Kessler, see what he can do and have him stick around and then draft one of those guys, then that would be a good start for them. But remember, I also suggest that they do something with the organization as well because that is not heading in the right direction. Even if they get a quarterback, that would be a good start. That would not be all they would have to do. Something has to be done. We already know that they're on, they're going to be on 16. I don't see them winning any of their remaining six games this season. So it'll be the second team to NFL, NFL history to go on 16, the third to finish winless in the modern Super Bowl era. The 1976 Buccaneers finished 0-14. Two years later, we got 16 game seasons, and then the Lions were the only team to go on 16 in 2008. So, oh God, I wish Josh was on the show today. My Dallas Cowboys beat his Pittsburgh Stullers 35-30. Zeke Elliott right up the middle. Hot knife through butter. With nine seconds left, he scores the game-winning touchdown. Nine seconds. And now to, and today, Tony Rumble comes out and says, Dak has earned the job. He has earned the right to be the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. So I guess it's official to you, to you guys. It's Dak Prescott's team now. Yeah, for me, I think we were waiting on either a word from either Jason Garrett, Jerry Jones, and Tony Romo saying this is a pretty telling sign that he's talked to the talked to Garrett and Jones, he's talked to the team, and he is aware and he is fine with Dak Prescott being the quarterback. We heard in his press conference today, and I just want to give him props because it takes quite the amount of professionalism to go up there and and say that he supports the the quarterback who replaced him and that he understands that it is his team now. So I just wanted to make, make that clear, that he deserves props for that. But I think this is definitely now Dak's team, and he's earned it. They're 8-1, 8-game winning streak. They just went on the road, and he led a comeback to beat the Steelers, who I know they're struggling this year, but going on the road and beating them with that offense is always a challenge. And Dak Prescott showed no signs of cracking, and he led that game-winning drive, even though Ezekiel Elliott ended up scoring that touchdown. Now, the good news here for Cowboys fans is you keep riding with Dak Prescott, but you have a very capable backup in Tony Romo if something were to happen to Prescott. So you have a, you're going to have a capable one-two punch at quarterback, and as long as Prescott remains the quarterback, Dallas is going to probably ride out the success. And as I said, if something really goes wrong, they have that capable backup there waiting if something goes wrong. Personally, I felt as if the way that Dak was playing, even if the uh, Steelers had won, Dak has shown enough that he is your starting quarterback for the rest of the season. And there was all the speculation with the lip reading of Tony Romo on the sidelines during the big pass Prescott to Des Bryant when Tony Romo said it's his time. And there's three or four different theories about what that means. Personally, I think Tony is seeing the writing on the wall because, yes, you have a much more Somewhat of a modern style because of Dak's scrambling ability. You have a more open playbook. And face it, you have someone who's younger and who, at the very least for the time being, is much healthier. I think not only do they have their starting quarterback for the rest of the season, but even next season and going forward. And I would like to see what they would do, not just in regards to where Tony goes, but who they bring in to back him up. Because would Tony stay, take a massive pay cut, and be a backup quarterback? Who's to say? But everything is finally gelling in place. This is a team that's won eight straight games for the first time since 1977. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Build around it. I'm, I'm as a Cowboys fan, as a journalist, I'm I'm happy that this is the way things are going right now. Because honestly, watching uh, Tony Romo over the last you know ten, nine, ten seasons, watching how he plays some in some games, 
it just it's just it's just a better option for Dallas to go with Dak. So I'm glad Rumble's the one to say it. Maybe maybe Jerry Jones will get into his head. Okay, maybe Dak should start the rest of the way. But Jerry Jones said to one oh I believe it's one of five point seven the fan in Fort Worth, Texas. Saying Tony Romo will be out for the year is just madness. So maybe he could be back. Who knows? Jerry Jones is a mysterious man and works mysterious ways. So to wrap up the Week 10 preview, let's go to Sunday night. We all knew this was going to be a great game. Seahawks-Patriots, rematch of Super Bowl 49. And uh, again, ball was on the one-yard line. We knew how this happened before. We knew how this went down. But then this time, we reversed it. Now the Patriots are on the one-yard line. Fourth and goal. Brady throws a pass up to Gronk, and it's incomplete. But wait, where's the flag? What am I talking about? I don't know if you two saw the play, but from what I saw, Gronk and Kent Chancellor should have been called for pass interference. Both, both of them were pushing each other. They should have both been moving called for pass interference. They should have replayed the down. And the Patriots should have known what not to do, and that's to pass the goal line. They should have ran it in with Gary Blunt. What do you guys what did you guys see? What do you think should have happened? I saw good defense, and I think the refs had that one right. Yes, you could have called offsetting, you would have had another down, but personally, they would have probably tried that again. And it could have had the same outcome. Maybe they would have wised up and fed it to LeGarrette Blunt. Then maybe go for two win the game. Who's to say? But for that one and that decision, especially since Gronk tried reaching out towards that football right at the very end as he was going down, that really nullified any possibility of pass interference either way. It was hard to tell who initiated the contact, but they were going back and forth. To me, that was just good defense. <laughs> you know, I didn't really get to see the play, but I've heard a lot about, you know, obviously passing it, the one we know about the irony of that. And from what I'm hearing for Eric now, I mean, I don't know if you could have called it. I'm looking at, you know, I've looked at it a few times now that I think about it, just some replays. I don't know if you could have called it. I mean, it's one of those calls. We always have those calls, especially in these days when it could go either way. It could be offsetting penalties. You know, sometimes, especially at end of games, we tend we tend to see refs not make a call that is not one-sided. If it is happens to be a 50-50 call, we often see, and that's the same thing in basketball and it goes to football. We don't we don't see it happen as often where they'll call something that would really influence something at the end of the game that is 50-50 and of course it doesn't mean that they won't call it it's just something that typically happens and it could have gone either way but now you look at it it's kind of one of those what if situations if they got it back would they score we don't know so it could have been called pass interference on either one of those two even both it could have been offsetting and repeat the down but you know we typically see those situations where it's 50-50 the ref either decides not to call it Sometimes it's a good no call, and sometimes, you know, it's one of those controversial calls that we kind of look at, and it's going to happen. So it could have been called, but now that we look at it, it's one of those what-if situations if it were to be called, now that we look back at it. Either way, great game. Seahawks won 31-24. The Patriots are now 7-2. Seahawks are 6-2-1. and one. Uh, ties are for suits. It's ridiculous. And, um, yeah, the Minnesota Vikings released Blair, Blair Walsh. I believe Eric brought it up earlier in the show. Hashtag making a field goal. That's all he had to do in the playoffs. All he had to do was make his extra points. He had one job. Couldn't do it. So long. Yeah, you know, I've always said this entire season when he struggled that that's one yard field goal and he missed to uh, send the Seahawks to the next round and uh, eliminate the Vikings from the playoffs. I think that really shook his confidence, you know, because he was a Pro Bowl kicker last couple of seasons, and he still has the ability to be a top kicker, but he just hasn't had it this year. He missed four extra points, which is the league high. 
you know, he clearly doesn't have it. Minnesota has to move on. They thought trying out other kickers would spark him and, you know, tell him that he needs to do better. He missed another extra point that last week against the Redskins. And after that, they said it was enough. They can't, they, it's going to hurt them. So they have to move on from him and he'll probably find another kicking job within the next couple of weeks because we know how often kickers get hurt, kickers get cut. So this isn't going to be the end of the road for him, but it's kind of just a bump in the road. And I think he's going to need to get his confidence back because clearly it took a dent after missing that field goal that will probably live with him for at least the remainder of his football career. The Vikings have lost four in a row to their five and a start. And then they lose their kicker. I'm starting to think they should release somebody else. It's not Blair Walsh. All right, we'll preview week 11. Next! Dylan, what are Blake Bortles' first half stats? 299 yards, two touchdowns, and interceptions. He could do better than that. He knows it. Rachel, what's the latest on Big Ben's leg injury? His leg is healing. He should return to the game. The Steelers will need him the rest of the way, so that's a big break for them. Eric, what's the score in Glendale? Cardinals lead the Patriots 42-7. We all saw that coming. Josh, how are Joe Flacco and Cisa coming along? I mean, I hate to say it, but they're looking good. I mean, they had a great game last week, and they're only one game out of first place in the AFC North. Don't count them being there that long. Do you want to hear more of that? Listen to the Football Five every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, only on the WTM Network. Also, follow us on Twitter, at the Football Five. Are you an arena football fan looking for the latest news involving your team? Inside the Arena has you covered. Check us out for the latest news around both the Arena Football League and the Chinese Arena Football League. Read all of our stellar articles at InsideTheArena.org. Also, follow us on Twitter at Inside underscore Arena. And like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash InsideTheArena. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, look up McCrigger Photography on Facebook. That's M-C-K-R-I-G-E-R Photography. We specialize in senior pictures, portraits, wedding photos, engagement photos, and family photos. Contact us for rates and dates. Would Flex Seal be a better option at your flex position? Do you need a sham wow to clean up the mess you make after your quarterback throws another interception? Then we have the solution for you. I'm Randy Isbell. And I'm Mike Mitchell. And we're here to clean up your fantasy mess with more power than OxyClean. Check out the Fantasy Football to the Max podcast every Monday and Thursday at W2Mnet.com. It's game time, boys, and we know football. Football the Max is the podcast for you if you want in-depth analysis over the NFL and college football. We preview all the action coming your way over the weekend. And we break down all the big action after it's happened. Plus, we tackle all the big news topics and discuss everything when it comes to the gridiron. So come check out Football to the Max every Tuesday morning and Friday morning on the W2M Network. Welcome back. So the big story for Week 11 is the Los Angeles Rams and their new quarterback, Jared Goff. Now, I don't like it at all. No, 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 no. All right, Case Keenum does very bad. Even the fans in Los Angeles want Goff. I, I don't understand it. Goff threw six touchdowns against Air Force. Let's, let's remember that. Air Force in a bowl game. And now he's number one. Two days ago, after the win, after a 9-6 win over the Jets, Jeff Fisher said, Keenum's still our starting quarterback. Now they're going golf. So obviously this must have came from the front office, but um, no matter who it came from, no matter who said, golf's time's now. I don't like it. Yeah, look, when, it, when we're talking about the Rams, they've never really had an intriguing quarterback option in the last couple of years ever since Sam Bradford they drafted him he didn't work out too well for them and now you look at it Case Keenum they are four and five they're doing all right but their offense is not going really anywhere they scored nine points last week which was enough for them to win they won two games without scoring a touchdown this year but still typically you're going to need to score points a lot of points to win 
And Jared Goff didn't look too good in the preseason. Apparently, he taking it's taking this long to put him in as a number one pick. Apparently, he's not looked too great in practice. But I think Los Angeles is just looking for a spark for their offense because I think they understand they want to go anywhere over the next couple of weeks and over the next couple of years. They're not going to be able to score nine points too many times and win games. I think they need to give him a chance because I know they're four and five, and it's not obviously time to give up yet, but I think they're better off experimenting, seeing how their offense works with Goff and see how he looks, then keep it, then keep it going with Case Keenum and have your offense be at a mediocre level and scoring nine points and 17 points and 13 points. That, that would be, that would be enough to win you some games, but it's not going to be enough to win you most. And they're going to look for a spark. And if he doesn't play well, then we'll see. But right now, I think they want to experiment because remember they put, they're putting their number one pick on him. So they obviously want him to do well. And they're putting their future. Basically last year, they got that number one pick on him. So, there's a lot riding on this, and they're looking for a spark for their offense. Personally, and I said this during Tim Tebow's brief reign in Denver, yes, they went 8-8. Eight and eight. Yes, they won their division and won a playoff game. But fans, teams, whomever's in charge realizes winning ugly will only get you but so far. The minute that they could find a replacement for Tebow, they did. This is the same thing that's going on. I believe this is now three games this season where the Rams didn't score a touchdown, at least. Even though four and five, yes, you're somewhat in the mix, but winning ugly is not cutting it. They have. They seem to have the ready option in the draft pick in Jared Goff. Fans were chanting for him. They're going to get their wish. Personally, I don't necessarily think he's ready. But sometimes you would rather go out and lose than win ugly. Yes, it's contrarian, but you have to see what you've got. And apparently, our other quarterback, Sean Mannion, if he was somewhat decent, I think he would have started three, four weeks ago. So, this is a situation L.A. is in. So, you guys would agree that even with golf under center, the Rams aren't really going anywhere. Not particularly. It's, you're getting him reps. They're doing... Like the Giants did, Eli Manning's rookie year. Granted, they were in a much better position at 5-3 and three with Kurt Warner, but they realized they had to see what their investment really was going to get them, and for the long term it turned out well. I say they're not going anywhere this year, but by the time after the end of next season when they open up their brand spanking new shiny stadium, that's when things will begin to pay off. These are just the Coliseum throwaway years. Yeah, they're not going they're not gonna go to many places this year. Um they're not heading in the right direction right now this year. They have some talent on that team, especially on defend on the defensive side of the ball, that points to a bright future, but I don't know if Jeff Fisher is the way to go for them. Right now, as long as Seattle's under in their division, their offense is playing like this, they're definitely not going to win in the division. And the wild card is going to be tough for them to get to. It's not impossible, but I just don't see realistically them climbing some of the other teams that are ahead of them that are playing a lot better than them. So right now, I don't think they're heading in the right direction this year. I don't think they're going anywhere. But they have some talent, and they have the ability to build on it especially in the next couple of years when that stadium comes in. So there's some bright spots to look at, but for right now, I'm not looking at them making any noise this year. Yeah, neither am I, especially with golf under center. Now, I, I, I would go ahead and say they should start Sean Mannion, but uh, week two, even before week two, Mannion's put us the third string quarterback. Which meant golf was put as backup. So pretty much, as soon as they benched 
Keenum. That was it for him. That meant golf would, um, yeah, you know, go without, go on to be the next starting quarterback. But he will start Sunday. They play the Miami Dolphins, which I know you two are fans of, I would say. So it should be interesting to see how that works out. So let's talk to Minnesota Vikings. Lost four in a row. I said a poor commercial. They shouldn't have. I mean, yeah, I guess you'd say they should have cut Butterwalls when he missed that kick. But now he's missed four extra points, which leads the league. But if you ask me, I've said this, I believe, multiple times on the show and off the show. There's one guy to blame. Sam Bradford. Because you're not going to win anything with Sam Bradford as your quarterback. Well, he had his points where he was serviceable. And now he's showing the times like he did with the Rams, like he did with the Eagles, to where he's less than serviceable. The problem here... As Brad, good as Bradford looked when the defense was top-notch, now that the defense is getting exposed, now that other teams are starting to go down the field, this is where the more ugly side of Bradford shows up. The shine is now becoming tarnished. And yes, Bradford is not the guy for the long term. But he has been serviceable in a stopgap year until hopefully Teddy Bridgewater gets back next year, hopefully fully recovered and healthy. But while he is a central figure for the offense, there's a lot more working parts. And as a side note, switching coaches midseason, no matter what position, never helps. Yeah, you know, I think we started, when they started undefeated, Sam Bradford looked very good. He looked serviceable. He looked like he was going to be able to lead this team. He wasn't doing anything special, but he was doing enough to support the defense that was playing out of their minds to start the year. Now they're coming down to earth, and as a result, their offense is getting even more exposed. They're getting, they're committing more turnovers. They're losing even more players. I mean, we saw, not that he is, the number one pick that he was, or he's one of the best in the league, but they just lost Jake Long, one of their offensive linemen. They continue to lose offensive linemen, which is not good news for Sam Bradford. They don't have Adrian Peterson. Stephon Diggs is pretty much the only bright spot on that offense. Other than that, they're they're pretty much relying it all on their defense, and when they fall behind, it is tough for them to come back because their offense is not as capable as it is when they have Bridgewater and Peterson and a healthy offensive line, and their defense is starting to come down to earth a little bit, they really have nowhere to turn. So right now, I think they're just too injury-plagued to really make progress. I think this was kind of... They got off to an incredible start, but now they're playing at the level that we thought they'd play at the very beginning of the season. So for me, I think they don't have... I hate to say this, but I don't know if it's going to be this year. I think they have to wait for their pieces to get healthy because their offense is just in flames and their defense is not at the world beaters level that it was that was carrying them for the first five games of the season. So right now, there's not much light at the end of the tunnel for the Vikings. But even after winning the division last year, that 5-0 and start kind of buoyed them because even though now they're sitting at 5-4, and you could realistically see 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and seven, while it would potentially, if through some miracle they do make it to the playoffs and it would be a first-round exit, you did not regress that far back. And as Dylan mentioned, when you have the pieces healthier you have a lot of top-level talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. What I would be interested in, not just for the remainder of this season, but going into next season, when Teddy Bridgewater comes back, who is his offensive coordinator going to be? Norv Turner had his disagreements 
with Mike Zimmer, he left. Clearly, they don't have the pieces, although Asiata is a very capable, is like a running back, pullback hybrid, to play the kind of smash mouth that Shermer wants. So that's going to be one of the bigger mysteries going into next season. How is this offense going to look even with healthy pieces? So this is something to keep an eye on, especially depending on what the Vikings want to do in free agency. There's just too many extra question marks that have come up that really don't need to be there right now. Eight and eight. I could see that. But like the Falcons last year, probably not playoffs this year for the Vikings. They play Arizona this Sunday. So here's here's something interesting. The Raiders and Texans play in Mexico City. I don't remember I don't know if you guys remember the last time a team played in Mexico City in the NFL. I think it was like eleven years ago. The 49ers and the Cardinals on an ESPN Sunday night game. Ed Hockley gained my respect because he announced one of the penalties entirely in Spanish. It was actually a pretty good game. Hmm. That's pretty funny. Hey, maybe hopefully Ed Hockley will be, in a, be at the game that, again on Monday night that Raiders and Texans play. Now, here's something interesting. I know we talked MVP race before, but could you guys see Derek Carr win the MVP race? Uh, it would be a close race, but honestly, with how young he is and the fact that this really wasn't as expected, more people were leaning towards the sophomore slump. You're looking at Matt Stafford in Detroit and what he's doing with the Megatronless offense that he has. You look at Tom Brady being Tom Brady, but that's just that. You still expected these things from Stafford because of what he's been capable of through his career. You expect these sorts of things from Tom Brady simply because he's been Tom Brady for more than a decade. I really think that if you take Derek Carr away from this team, you have a completely different offense, and they're nowhere near where they are right now. So it would probably be a three-horse race, but if that's the case, yeah, I wouldn't have too many complaints about it. Yeah, I could definitely see Derek Carr being in the MVP race. Now, winning with the way those two Cowboys rookies, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, are playing, we mentioned Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford, of course we mentioned Tom Brady. I don't know if he's going to win it, but the way he's had his Raiders playing, the way he's played himself, he's definitely going to be in the conversation because he deserves to be in the top five, but I don't know if he has it to win it. We'll see how it plays out the rest of the regular season. Right now, I have him behind a couple of people, so I don't know if he's going to win it, but he has a chance, and he definitely, I think, will be in the conversation to win the award. Oh, wow. Imagine Zeke or Dak win the MVP race. That would be something interesting. I'm just... I could also see Derek Carr winning until just because the way he's played this season. We kind of expected the Raiders to play this way with the team they have, with him, Michael Crabtree, and Amari Cooper. But imagine him winning the MVP race. That would be something. Okay. So this show is not on the way we hoped, obviously. So we're just going to go straight to our picks now. So we'll start with Eric. Close game, blog game, and upset of the week. You know what? There are certain teams that I really have to just stop having faith in for the rest of the season. My blowout game is going to reflect that. I picked this team. I've been following them since their beginnings. I thought that the last week they would pull it out, but no. 
I end up with even further disappointment. Yes, my hometown Jacksonville Jaguars. I've tried loving them. I've tried making some excuses for them. I've even seen on Good Morning Football and practically cursed the guy out for throwing in comparisons to Limp Biscuit and saying we're so close to Georgia and we should be thankful that we have all kinds of peaches. But no, I can't take it anymore. They're going to go to Detroit. It's going to get ugly very fast. There may be a quarterback change. I don't know. But I know that for my blowout, it's going to be the Lions over the Jaguars. My close game, given how well the Buccaneers have played and come together, especially Jameis Winston stepping his game up, I think that they could go on the road against the Kansas City team that's still on fire and at the very least make it competitive. Now, granted, the Chiefs, especially with what's been happening the past few weeks, I see them pulling it out, but they're going to give one hell of a game, especially if Mike Evans, through all of his controversies and issues, can actually focus on being a wide receiver and actually take time to learn politics in his off time. As far as an upset, now officially, I'm not picking this as an upset. I'm not. But if this were to happen, I would not be surprised. Rams-Dolphins. The Dolphins have been, over the past four weeks or so, somewhat schizophrenic. When, Especially when J.H.I. is on fire, Tannehill magically can find his receivers, they win games, and especially with how they did against the Chargers, Kiko Alonso sealing it, they show you their best. But, this is L.A., they've got a wild card in Jared Goff, and to be fair... Their defense, even when playing some weak offenses, is actually somewhat formidable. I think they could cause a little bit of confusion for Tannehill. So if I had to pick one game to be something of an upset, I think it would be the Rams surprising everybody and beating the Dolphins. And Dylan? All right, so my blowout game of the week, I know I'm kind of being generic and what you'd probably expect to be my blowout game of the week, but it's hard to pick blowouts, and I'm going to go with the probably most obvious one on, on the ticket here. The New England Patriots, we know they lost last week to the Seahawks. They're a tough team. We know it was at home. But they're, I think they're going to bounce back. I think they're going to be angry. Tom Brady threw his first interception of the season, and they're going to travel to face a 49ers team that's 1-8. and eight. Now, a West Coast trip an East Coast team is never the easiest of things. But New England is going to be mad, and they're a 13-point favorite, largest of the week. I think they're going to come in, and they're going to dominate early and often. So, and Eric Reed's quote today might have just added a little fuel to the fire, although I don't think New England needed any of it. They're not probably not going to have Rob Gronkowski punctured as long, and he's not cleared to travel. So they're, they're going to have Martellus Bennett. We saw what he's been able to do earlier in the season. I think they're going to come in, and they're going to stomp on the San Francisco 49ers because they cannot move the ball and they cannot stop most people. They've remained close in some games, but I see the Patriots being mad and I see them wanting to take it out on the 49ers. So I'm going to have the Patriots beating the 49ers pretty badly in my blowout game of the week. For my upset of the week, I don't know how much to your eyes is it an upset, but according to Vegas, this would be an upset. Carolina enters as a three and a half point favorite on Thursday night. But I'm going to take the Saints in this pick. I think Carolina's three and six. They looked very. They did not look very good last week. They blew a 17 point lead, and New Orleans went toe to toe with the defending Super Bowl champions. And controversial extra point calls aside, they're beating the Broncos, and they are five, and they are five and four right now. Four and five. They're right in the thick of the playoff race, and they're going to have a lot to play for. And so will Carolina. But I have. New Orleans with their offense coming in and having a field day with that poor Carolina secondary. And I think that they pull off the upset 
They come into Carolina and they pick up a big divisional win. Now, finally, for my close game of the week, I'm going to go to Washington, D.C., or Maryland, to be more accurate. The Redskins are playing the Packers on Sunday night football. The Redskins have not done anything spectacular this year, but they're 5-3-1. and one. They found a way to win games. The Packers are 4-5, and five, and they are struggling here as we enter the home stretch of the season. We're getting close to it. They're 4-5. and five. They got blown out by the Tennessee Titans last week. And they don't have much of a running game, and they're going to want to turn their season around. But as long as they have James Starks as their starting running back, They've done this before. We know how they had Ryan Grant when they went on their Super Bowl run. But I don't see them coming into Landover and beating Washington. I think it's going to be a close game. Green Bay is going to want that win badly to turn their season around. But in a very close game, by a touchdown or a field goal, I'm going to take Washington. All right, I'll throw off my blow up because it seems pretty obvious to me. There's no way the Jaguars have a chance against the Lions. In a battle of the big cats, the Lion is the god. It's like predator and prey right here. The Lion is obviously the predator. The Jaguars the prey. The the Lions are hot. The Jaguars are not. So, yeah. The Lions are going to declaw the Jaguars in this game. It's going to be ugly. Ugly. Oh, God, ugly. Uh, close game of the week. I'm going with the Dallas Cowboys and the Baltimore Ravens. Now, the Cowboys have a great offense, but I got a few guys telling me that the Ravens could compete with them because of the last couple games they played together. Well, I say, bring it on. I feel like the Ravens are banged up. I feel like they can't compete with the... I feel like they can't compete with the Cowboys, but we will still see on Sunday. So I'll go with that as my close game. Upset of the week. I'm not saying they're going to win. But just imagine. Packers go into into Landover. And pull out a win against the Redskins. My eyes, because how the Packers have been slagging. And the Redskins have been hot. They'll be an upset. Green Bay going to Washington. Pulling out the road win again. Just like they did back in the wild card. That will be an upset in my book. So that is going to do it here for the Football Five. Eric Watkins, Dylan Goldman, I'm Stephen Err. Enjoy week 11. We'll be back next week to recap it all and preview week 12.